Nick Alfano, Christian Gange, Trusty Trent, we're back, the wannabes. I don't even know what episode number it is. We're cruising along here in our quest for podcast dominance. Gange is living on cloud nine with everything going on with all of his favorite sports teams. Mine, well, the Red Sox suck, but the Celtics and Bruins are doing fantastic, so I'm okay. I'll be fine. Gange, tell me a little bit about what's going on in your neck of the woods in terms of sports fandom. Well, Nick, it's funny you asked me that. Actually, our sponsor of episode 10 of the Wannabes is the new campaign to end all unwritten rules in the sport of baseball. So unless, Nick, I know you don't live under a rock. Trent, I know you're living so above a rock. You're not under a rock either, baby. (laughs) That everyone saw what happened last week when the best player in baseball, the face of baseball, get out of here, Mike Trout, your time is over. Fernando Tatis Jr. hit an absolute piss missile, oppo taco to right field on a 3-0 pitch when the San Diego Padres were doing what they were doing by being up seven runs in the eighth inning. And it was a grand slam, correct me if I'm wrong. It was a grand slam. No, don't you worry, Nick. We'll get into what the, the grand slam meant for my favorite city, my hometown, Slam Diego. But a lot of hate on my guy, Fernando Tatis, because apparently you're supposed to not try in baseball. Apparently, if you're that good at baseball, you can't hurt feelings. So you got to, you know, let the pitcher get a strike. But no, that's not my team. That's not my 2020 World Series champ, San Diego Padres. Everyone saw last week setting the MLB record with four consecutive games. Four consecutive games with a grand slam. Never been done before. And you thought we were done? No, we got the rookie of the year who decided to hit a grand slam as well to make it five grand slams in six games. Another MLB record. Padres went 7-0 and last week. Zero losses. And Manny Machado, the $300 million man worth every goddamn penny. He was the NL Player of the Week, the second NL Player of the Week award for the best team in baseball, the San Diego Padres, after Tatis did it a couple weeks back. Nick, I don't know if you can tell by my tone, but, you know, things are looking pretty good. I think we've discussed how I've said the Padres were going to be elite in 2020 since before I've known you. And, boy, oh, boy, sweet justice, your boy was right. San Diego Padres looking good. And also, Nick, we can get by the Padres. I talk about them a lot. Most of you probably don't know, I'm a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, and we just took a 3-2 lead in game two of the Eastern Conference semifinals against your Boston Bruins. So, Hey, we're up one game to nothing. There's still 10 minutes left in the game. There's time. There's time. This but is true. I, I'd also like to mention that this episode of the Wannabes is sponsored by the San Diego Padres bandwagon. I'm not saying I'm hopping on it personally, but I do want to say that if you go all over Twitter, all over Instagram, I don't care that the NBA finals are going on. So many people out of the woodwork just want to talk about the slam Diego Padres. I can't even slam Diego. I cannot even believe it. It's almost a, it's almost a joke that people are just doing it to make Christian Gange happy that he was right. That not necessarily that they were going to be world series champs champs or make the playoffs, but I think you win just because they're relevant this year. That's what I said. They're just relevant. And that's, that like you win congratulations you won you won this contest i don't know what contest it was but you won i've said 2020 world champs for four or five years i'm not taking that back yet we're clearly a contender i'm not saying we're the favorite the dodgers are still the favorite until anyone takes them down there's some dominant teams in the american league but i've said for like i said four or five years that this was the year where everything was going to align and so far we're sitting here at 18 and 12 at the halfway mark on a seven game win streak not that bad. And also, Nick, I know it must have hurt you 
that, I don't know if it hurt you, you had a lot of success, but in Boston with the Red Sox, you had Don Orsillo, best announcer in baseball. Red Sox were winning titles. Now, Don Orsillo has come across the country. He's the San Diego Padres announcer. And I think that Slam Diego call that he had, welcome to Slam Diego when Eric Hosmer hit that fourth straight home run for the pods, that that was one of the best regular season baseball calls I think I've heard. So that was pretty electric. I will say the Red Sox have won a World Series since Don Arcillo left. So yeah. my, hole, my hole is not gaping. That's fair. It's uh, the 20s. It's a new I decade. Who cares? But, but my, my heart is still full. I'm okay. But I do have a soft spot for Don Arcillo. Love Don Arcillo. All right, Gange, we humored you with the Padres talk. Thank you. You're up in the lightning game. We'll see what happens. Now less than seven minutes late uh, left. Lightning up three to two. You're winning in shots on goal, too, which I don't like. we got to circle the puck. We need pucks on net. But we're also going to get into playoffs, NBA bubble, and college football and what the cancellation of the Pac-12 and the Big Ten mean for the college football landscape this season and going forward. What do you got, Gange? Absolutely. Well, Nick Alfano, Trent Wines, it's Christian Gange. Ladies and gentlemen, it's episode 10 of the Wannabes, baby. Hit it! San Diego Chargers announced this morning that after 56 years in San Diego, the team is moving to Los Angeles. Quick score update. Bruins tie it 3-3, I think around four minutes left. We'll have live results during this podcast, I guess. You won't hear it in live time considering this isn't live stream, but it'll be interesting to see Gange and I's reactions as we see what unfolds in this game. Maybe it'll go to OT. Maybe it'll go to multiple OTs. Lightning have been doing that recently in the playoffs. What do you think? Give me your end result. Give me your pick for this game as it ends. Only four minutes left, so it's kind of cheating. But. Well, first off, it's going to be tough for me because I was just pretty cocky up to you about the Lightning. Yes, you were. In podcast time, probably like, what, 30, 90 sec- 30 to 90 seconds ago, and now it's already 3-3 again. I'll be nice um, about it. I think we're hitting OT, and I think – I think the Lightning are going to take in the fourth overtime. That's my official prediction. We're, we're going for a marathon, baby. That's what the Lightning do. Bruins win, <laughs> mark my words, with 8.27 left in the first overtime. Okay, I'll give a real prediction. I'll say the Lightning win. I think there's going to be 3.32 left in, in the first overtime. It'll be a deep okay. overtime. We're going to punch one in. All right. All right. We'll see. We will okay, see. Well, well, all right. I appreciate your pick, but we're going to transition now into what's going on in the NBA playoff bubble, not the NHL playoff bubble. One thing I've really noticed in the last couple weeks since this restart has happened in Disney World is, A, the quality of basketball has been electric. The scoring amounts have been huge, but I feel like there's been a handful of NBA superstars that have really elevated their status from superstars to legends. And there's really only a handful of those legends. I think you could literally count on two hands uh, in the entire league. And I think a lot of guys have sort of cemented themselves into that category or as people that are sort of ready to 
hop into that category after another season or two, we've got a Giannis Antetokounmpo who just today won defensive player of the year. He's the presumptive MVP this season for the second year in a row. He is. Uh, I disagree. I disagree with the MVP pick, but we'll see. I'm I'm not saying I agree or disagree. I'm just saying presumptive by everything I see. Got you. If that's the case, he will be the third player ever next to Hakeem in the 90s and Michael Jordan in the 80s to win both Defensive Player of the Year and MVP in the same season. Only two other players have done it in their total careers. So what a wild season for Giannis if he's able to do it. Bucks have sort of been in and out in terms of their actual game performance. Crazy performance, individual performance this season by Giannis, though. Then we have Luca, who's gone absolutely bananas. What a especially, shot. Especially that buzzer beater against the Clippers. We've got Dame, who, regardless of what goes on in this Lakers series, because now he's ruled out for game five with a knee sprain, um, you know, he's been unbelievable in leading the Blazers to the playoff when they really shouldn't have been there because they were so far behind. You've got Devin Booker, who led the Suns to an 8-0 record. You've got Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray, who it feels like they're scoring 40 points in every single game against each other in this Nuggets Jazz series. My question is, Christian, what player or players have caught your eye the most? Well, first off, I think we've got to say Devin Booker became a shining star in the past couple of weeks, both on the court and in the headlines for some hotel room activities. I'm going to leave it at that. If, if you know, you know. Um, that, was quite, that was quite the story that came out the other week. But going back I have to, to – I have to be honest. This shows how unplugged I am. I really don't know what you're talking about, and I'll be sure to look it up after this podcast. And so. you will find out very quickly what Devin Booker, Devin Booker is the leader – like I said, leader, first best on his team, first best. So if you know, you know. But outside of that, I mean, to me, like I'm not a huge basketball guy. To me, it's my fourth favorite of the major sports, even behind hockey. But what wow. Luca, what Luca did on Sunday, I thought was the – I mean, the dude's a star. Like, yeah, obviously Donovan Mitchell's putting up numbers. You know, Damian Lillard's doing what he's doing. But Luca being only 21 years old and to go out there and do what ankle. he did – on one ankle on a sprain ankle also playing the, the the Dallas Mavericks yeah they're a pretty good team but Luca's fellow star Christos Porzingis was out with soreness I mean that guy sucks like I, I sand him like how soft can you be to sit out for soreness in the NBA playoffs yeah I don't I don't like by the that way one. he's he's out again tonight there's another I game, saw that. game five tonight uh, he's out again speaking did you see I'm blanking on the name but on MLB network this morning and they're showing it last night that some pitcher back in 1920s got struck by lightning yes. mid-game and then he gets, like, revived mid-game, stays in the game, throws a no-hitter a couple weeks later, wins 20 games for them on the year. Um, like, okay, I think – I think we, it was in the 1920s, if I'm I think correct. it was 1920, exactly. So, in 100 years, we've clearly gone down on a toughness level in uh, pro sports in this country. And that's, we, have that's we have regressed. We have regressed. I will admit, if I was struck by lightning, I would not finish the game. I'll, I'll say that as well, just to be a little devil's advocate there. And honestly, if you, you – know, What's his name? Ray Caldwell, the Indians pitcher. So, yeah, struck by lightning on August 24th, pitched a no-hitter 17 days later, then won 20 games in the year for the world champion Indians. I'm assuming Cleveland Indians. I don't know. Maybe they changed. Whatever. But, yeah. <laughs> so, enough hit on Kristaps. You can tell Luca playing through a minor, a minor inconvenience in the ankle, I guess, and being 21 years old, making – I think what it takes for me as a star, like I said, I'm not a huge basketball fan. I didn't really play the sport growing up. So – I've seen guys like Donovan Mitchell. He's putting up 40, 50 plus, which is obviously impressive over the game. 
But what I'm looking for is that moment. The moment you could see Luca all over my Twitter, all play that I watched a million times that stood out. That's to me how you become a superstar in this league. And I think Nick, you might know the stat better than me, but he was like the fourth or fifth player in NBA history to score 40 plus in a playoff game and hit a buzzer beater. And the other guys in that are LeBron, Michael Jordan, I think like Magic. It's like so I, I, I didn't see that. I believe that. The yeah. one that I thought was crazy is that I feel like you can always sense a superstar by when, they're, it, when it's their first time in the playoffs and they're really young. So it's not like they're 30 and it's their first time in the playoffs. But it's like you're a young 20-year-old and it's your first time in the playoffs and you're ready. You know what I mean? Like you don't need – and adjustment you know you don't get to spend a year like being the eight seed and kind of you know not doing well shit in the bed whatever Luca comes in second full season age 21 seven seed Mavericks in the first round against the Vegas betting favorites LA Clippers to win the NBA title he I believe the stat was the first the quickest player to score 70 points in his playoff career in NBA history. He did it in the first two games, which is why it's significant. So literally, he was the fastest to 70 points in anybody's playoff career. Like more than LeBron's couple first playoff games, more than Michael's couple first playoff games. I'm not saying he's going to have a career like that. All I'm saying is he's only 21, but as soon as he got in the spotlight, he was ready. And that I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah, and it, it, I mean, I saw it over Twitter as a whole, what were you doing when you were 21 versus what Luca's doing? I well, think, we all know what we were doing when we were we, 21. We went to college together. We, uh, we were not making buzzer beaters in the NBA playoffs. That's, that's a fact. But also, we were, next, sitting, I, at, we were sitting at Clifton's in downtown Los Angeles wearing turtlenecks, I think, when we were 21. Sounds like us. Sounds like us. But also, Nick, I'll point out, so like you're, you're talking about the stars and how people are coming out of their shell to dominate, like a Luca. I mean, Dame was already a star, Donovan too, but like really becoming superstars. How about our boy Playoff P, Paul George? Uh, self-proclaimed Playoff P, stupid nickname, first off. Like he set a record. I think he was the only player for some level to shoot under 25% three straight playoff games or something like that. The Clippers traded five first-round picks for that guy, and he is just playing terrible. Yeah, It makes you think Kawhi chose him as his sidekick when he already had a Kyle Lowry and a Fred Van Bleed out in Toronto, a team looking like they have it, they have what it takes to take the title again this year without the top three, four, five player in the league in Kawhi. So I know Kawhi wanted to be in LA and I respect it. I'm a Southern California guy. I'd rather be here than Toronto too, even though Toronto's probably a beautiful city, never been. Shout out Dylan O'Reilly. Shout out Dylan O'Reilly. Shout out Sandy Plaskis. But very, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty funny to see. I, I am as equally interested as guys who really struggle versus guys who are successful just because, you know, I'm, I'm a hater in some senses. That's the finals I would love to see. I would love to see the Clippers versus the Raptors, just throwing that out there into the ether. If that happens, you heard it here first. Uh, but I really think that the Thunder, and I'll, there's a connection here, the Thunder just must be – Everybody in their front office just must be smiling ear to ear every single day during this bubble because they traded away Paul George. They traded away Russell Westbrook. They got, what, like seven total first-round picks out of all of that, plus Chris Paul, plus a couple other pieces. They're tied 2-2 with the Rockets in the first round of the Western Conference playoffs. And I believe that if they win – 
they get the Lakers. And I'm not saying they're going to beat the Lakers, but like there's a possibility that then the Thunder could play the Clippers. And I just think it's so fascinating that if you're the Thunder, you got to be thinking the way Paul George is playing, we fleece the Clippers. Like we fleece them. Like the Clippers now, if the, imagine if they don't win the series, what is going to be the fallout of the Clippers? Not going to be good. I think also they did it real well because Paul George was what third or fourth in the MVP voting with the Thunder last year. So yes, yes, he, sold high. They sold they, high. Dame did hit the shot over him to win the series, which is probably his lasting memory in Oklahoma City. But yeah, it's safe to say that the Thunder are winners in this deal. Um, early on, I don't even know. You can argue. I don't know what Paul George could do to change my mind. The Clippers or the Thunder have. Like I said, they have first-round picks through 2026, 2027. I mean, it kind of reminds me, there's a smaller degree of the deal your um, Celtics had with the Nets to get basically just ruin the Nets franchise for so long until now. Obviously, they have some guys who will get healthy and make them better, but yeah. Right. It's really really the opposite, honestly, because after that deal, you you send the superstars to the Nets, then the Nets started to suck, Celtics reap the young benefits – I really think it's going to work both ways. Like you're not going to blow up the team. If you're the Clippers, you're going to keep Paul George and Kawhi really, no matter what happens this season, but it's definitely something to be conscious of uh, and to see what happens. So it's really something to watch. I'm curious to see what happens. We'll see if Paul George will bounce back for game five. I believe that's starting like right now, as we speak at nine 30, 10 o'clock Eastern time here. Um, but before we get out and move to college football, I just want to hear your finals pick and your champion for the NBA bubble. So going into it, I was definitely going to, I would have said Bucks Rockets, definitely both. Yeah, that was my, I I did say that that was going into it. Now my, uh, my official prediction is, that I do think – I think the Lakers are going to be facing the Raptors, and I think the Lakers take down the Raptors. I thought it was hilarious that people thought the Blazers actually had a shot just going off the hype of those eight-game shortened bubble regular season, whatever you want to call it. But if the Lakers – if Anthony Davis plays like he can, which is a top player in the NBA, plus what you know LeBron's going to do, then I think the Lakers are – you know, they're going to keep it up. I thought the Clippers would give him a challenge. The Rockets would give him a challenge, but they got me kind of – worried uh, about those kind of thoughts so far so I got the Lakers beating the Raptors in six games in the finals I said this a couple minutes ago but that I think the Raptors Clippers would be the finals that I would really like to see Mm -hmm. I actually think instead of the Bucks that the uh, Celtics and Raptors have a better chance to come out of the east I agree I'm going with the Raptors I think the Raptors come out of the east I'm still taking the Clippers to come out of the West. That could all come crashing down in about 72 hours. You think playoff P figures it out? I just think that not necessarily playoff P figures it out, but I think Montrez Harrell figures it out. I think Reggie Jackson figures it out. I think that whole team figures it out because right now the only people that are playing well, at least from what I'm seeing, is Kawhi, Lou Williams, and a little bit of Zubach. So I just think they need some help. They're one of the deepest teams in the league. Like someone has to show up at some point and put them over the edge. Really, they're a Luka buzzer beater away from being up 3-1 against the Mavs. So I'm still taking the Clips. I'm still taking the Raptors. I'm taking the Clips to win it all uh, in seven games against the Raptors. It'll be a nice little poetry thing with Kawhi facing Toronto. You know, it'll be all nice. ESPN will be able to do a big thing about it. You know, I'm sure people will go all nuts about the cool videos and whatnot. So that's, 
that's my that's my uh, NBA bubble finals, COVID cup, whatever you want to call it, uh, playoff prediction for that. Thank you all for listening to our little recap of what's gone, gone on so far in the NBA bubble, hearing our predictions. Uh, next segment we're going to do, college football, share our thoughts about what the season looks like uh, and everything that the Big Ten and Pac-12 has decided to do thus far. And now just a disclaimer for all the loyal wannabe listeners that we love so, so much here. This segment is, it was actually recorded two weeks ago about college football. It was recorded on the day of or day after, uh, I can't remember, where the Pac-12 and the Big Ten announced that they were not going to be playing this college football season, but that it looked like the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 were going to go through with playing. Um, we had planned to do it two weeks ago, but our interview with former U.S. Olympic water polo player Alex Rolsa was going so well and so interesting to us that we just kept it going and didn't want to end that as we got more interesting. So now we're going to be playing that because we do still feel like the topic is still very relevant. Gange, very sad news coming in this week for everybody involved with the sports world in general college football specifically I have to say I was working on college basketball productions when COVID shut down when March Madness was canceled and I never thought that it would affect college football I never thought it would last that long and I'm not going to get into how I feel about the state of this country and how it's impacted college football but what I will say is I'm mad that people are picking sides in this debate. And I don't know how you feel about it. Like we, why can't we all just say that this is like our worst sports fear? You know what I mean? Like, why can't we all just galvanize around that instead of blaming different conferences and different athletic directors? If you're going to blame anybody, blame the NCAA for not cultivating a single leadership position or council to make a, broad decision whether to play or not to play across all the power five as opposed to it being spread about all these people you can't get mad at people in LA and San Francisco for making different decisions than people in Atlanta you know what I mean like I, I'm, I'm pissed that people are mad at each other and pitting conferences against each other when it's not their fault because they're just making the decisions they feel are best and I'm just really struggling with the ramifications of what's going to happen yeah, I'm with you, Nick. And for anyone who doesn't know, I assume you do if you're listening to this podcast. Um, I think it was yesterday, the Big Ten and Pac-12 both announced that they are canceling the college football season for the 20, for 2020 fall with hopes that it'll come back in the spring, which I don't believe will happen. But having said that, I think the Big 12 announced that they're going to play, as what you're referring to, Nick, the SEC and ACC, they kind of seem grouped together. I heard on uh, listening to some guys from Barstool Sports they compared it how the Big 12 was a swing state and how the Big 10 and Pac-12 were together and they're going to do their thing. SEC and AC are going to do their thing. And how did it, what you just said, Nick, like how did the hell does that make any sense that both the, all these conferences have their own experts, their own doctors, and they have come with different results. Like that doesn't make any sense. Like I'm not going to pretend I'm a doctor. I don't know how COVID would affect the season. Like I assume it's a lot of physical contact. It's tough, but it's what you're saying. How does the Pac-12 say, oh, our doctors say it's not possible, and then the Big 12 says, oh, we said we can play. Let's go ahead. And it gets into your fur the further point that there's alternative um, – what am I boring? I'm kind of going for it. There's alternative things they're trying to do. They're trying to find their own – Ulterior reason. motives? Is that what Ulterior you're going for? Motives. Ulterior motives. 
words are hard, everybody. We know that. But um, ulterior motives to kind of do what they want to do. And it's clearly, I think we can all agree, and the NCAA has proven this time and time again, that they care about their wallets a lot more than the safety of their players. And they're hiding behind a statement that this is about safety when I am totally convinced it has absolutely nothing to do with that. Well, here's what I think. And this is a supposition. This isn't backed up by anything that I've read. Yeah, good word. Thank you. This isn't backed up by anything I've read. What I gather from this is that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are the two conferences that occupy the more urban areas of the country in comparison to the ACC, SEC, Big 12. I believe that's correct. Considering that fact, along with the doctors that they've brought on, are probably from those urban areas who have been more conservative in terms of making sure there's – when I say conservative, I mean – they rolled back, you know, they, there, there was a ton of social distancing and mask wearing and all those environments. And I feel like in those cities where those schools are, where those doctors are from, they probably had a more cautious outlook on the same data than the doctors that are in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, working for the SEC would yeah. be my supposition. I feel like there's also something at play here where And I think people were saying this as soon as July when the football season came into question, who's going to be the last to cancel? You know it's going to be the SEC. And you can come up with whatever reason you want, whether it's they're in in more COVID denial than everybody else is, or their doctors would say it's okay, or their players really wanted to play, or there was more – or there was more money on the line, like whatever it was, everybody knew the SEC would be the last to cancel, and yeah. everyone knew the Pac-12 would be the first to cancel, technically the second, the way it happened. But you know what I mean. So yeah. I, I just think it's really interesting the way this all unfolded. But I'm what I'm mad at, again, is that people are taking sides. And I just think you really need to leave it up to the people whose jobs it is to figure it out. And I don't, I don't know, how do you feel about that? I mean, the, my issue, and it's where, I mean, it's, it's no secret that our country, the U.S., we have clearly butchered this whole COVID situation. This should have been done and handled within a couple months like some of the other countries were able to do. And I think a main thing is just like people trying to make it political. And I feel like so much of this is that when it's not, it's just a matter of health and safety, which should never be that way, which is clearly it's a divide. No matter what side you stand on, you everyone knows there's a divide. But I mean, I, I don't, that, that is the issue. It's the conference is not being together. It's also, Nick, even from a different standpoint, like what's been interesting to me is what like, the social side of this too. And with the players now speaking out, um, Trevor Lawrence, most notably speaking out about it. And I think what's been interesting in saying how, like from a safety standpoint, they think it'll be safer, cancel the season, don't play football. When in reality, you're going to send these kids home to their communities. Obviously some of them come from not so great situations and they're not going to have the testing. They're not going to be motivated to stay healthy. Like, obviously, we've seen young people in this country are going out, going to parties, restaurants, little gatherings, things like that, because there's not much to lose if you're just an average 21-year-old kid. But if you're a 21-year-old kid playing for Clemson, Ohio State, Texas, USC, big schools, you think you're going to make a national championship, you're probably going to, you know, suck it up for a couple months because of the motivation. So right, 
And that's interesting. That's been like really interesting to me. Uh, I think what he said was very well put. And so I kind of want to get your point of view on that as well. I mean, look, if I was a, if I was the star quarterback of the number one team in the college football preseason poll, I would be anything that I could to play what will probably be his last. But if it's going to talking about me, my last year in college football, like I would do anything I could to play and try to get that in. I mean, I feel so bad for all these athletes that are having their seasons cut short and I totally ride with his opinions. I saw Justin Fields, the quarterback from Ohio state tweet, the same thing about it. Um, and yeah, so arguably the two best guys in college football. Been right. Two- and, and my heart goes out to them, not because, you know, they're going to make millions of dollars in about eight months playing real NFL football. So I don't feel bad for them about that, but you know, this is like kind of their glory days, if you will, depending on how their NFL success goes. So I feel, I feel terrible. And, but at the end of the day, you're these kids and we were their age a couple of years ago are, between 18 and 22, some maybe 23, you know, I don't know how, how, how old they are now in college football. And it really is up to the administrators to protect them from themselves, whether it is COVID, whether it's concussions, whether it's a leg injury, like it is up to those administrators and whatever side hustle you think these administrators have, and some of them do in terms of needing to make money and the bottom line and putting out the best product possible, like it's up to them to decide. And until somebody else takes that responsibility from them, I feel like you just have to accept the verdict that each of these conferences is presenting. The one thing that I think people aren't harping on that also makes me really upset is the first thing I thought of was the businesses that are going to be affected by not having six to eight home college football games in all of these towns. And I'm sure it's going to hit um, Ann Arbor and Columbus, Ohio, and East Lansing more than it's going to hit Los Angeles for USC and UCLA. But even from us being at school, I think about even a chain like Blaze Pizza, I think about, and how crowded that is on game day, right on Fig, right down the street from the Coliseum. And I'm just thinking about how much revenue a business like that is losing on top of I'm sure what they've been dealing with during COVID already. You know what I mean? And this is just the icing on the cake. And it's lost revenue. They're just not getting it back. And my heart goes out to the players, these businesses. I feel I feel awful. I just feel awful and disgusting inside. Yeah, I mean, to your two points there, I actually got a text from um, our friend Sam that we went to school with about it yesterday because he used to work at the Pac-12 network. And he was saying he got all of his uh, former colleagues at the Pac-12 network probably out of a job now because what who's going to watch Pac-12 network without sports being on and then you I kind of I mean I don't disagree with you I agree that it sucks for Trevor Lawrence Justin Fields I think it sucks so much more for that player fifth year senior wants to prove himself to get his NFL shot yeah, Trevor right. Lawrence, Justin Fields are done they're going to be top five top 10 overall picks at worst and be quarterbacks making big money in the NFL but let's say you're let's say you're a fifth year grad transfer you or something like that or you're just a senior off the radar you're like you worked hard this offseason you built up your strength you're a late bloomer like you're trying to get into the draft get third fourth round and start your career now if you don't have a season you're never gonna have the opportunity to do that and I think that's it's depressing it kind of goes into whole sports and entertainment industry like you're in it you know it um I interned at Madison Square Garden um a few years back for a summer and I my LinkedIn this past couple of days have been just flooded with 
people I interned with my, someone who was like at the same level as my boss that I work closely with in my job of getting laid off because they laid off hundreds of people because obviously there's no live events going on at Madison Square Garden. So that obviously trickles down to every stadium to the Coliseum employees. Like even everyone who goes to a USC game knows little hot dog vendors, the bacon wrap hot dogs. Oh, dude, they, they, I uh, used to crush three on the walk from where we were to the Coliseum. Oh, victory dog, whether we get a victory or not, it doesn't matter. But (laughs) what are they doing? What are the victory dog people doing? I don't know. It's just, it's depressing. It's depressing. That's all I can say. I looked at it and it hurt me. I felt just like numb to the whole thing because. I think we all say it, USC football means a lot to the three of us. I've been a fan my entire life. I was excited for the season. I think we had a good squad. Um, maybe kind of starting our, you know, trek back to being nationally relevant every single year. So it just sucks. But also, I mean, like I said, it's Wednesday. I'm looking on ESPN. There's a story. It's Dabo, right before we started recording, Dabo Sweeney, head coach at Clemson, saying, like, who cares if two conferences opt out? The winner of the national championship wins. So let's say it does happen. The Big Ten and Pac-12 don't play, but the other three Power Fives do. Like, I don't know. Ohio State has a very good chance to win the title. USC, I think, maybe a fringe chance, but had some sort of chance. You have the Penn States, Wisconsin's, whatever. Oregon, Oregon for, for sure, Oregon, for sure, Oregon. Um, like, Arizona State was just have good teams. Like, all these teams, like, what, they, those kids decided to commit there, and they have to sit and watch other schools that offered them play, like, normal? It doesn't make sense. It's, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but my last point, because I definitely want your response to this, is I think in the Big Ten released their schedule like a week ago for the season, the Pac-12. There's no, like, that's what pissed me off the most, is they released a schedule set to start September 3rd for the first game, like last week, and then they canceled a week. Like, that was so just for the look, like, oh, we tried, we did that. It's like, you didn't even try. Like, you didn't fucking try. You just, you're doing this for the look of it, and – it's bullshit. It's unfair to the kids who maybe thought they're going to play a season. And Dude, that's it's, super, it's super similar to what schools are doing with uh, online classes where kids are ex- going to campuses expecting to uh, basically have school like normal. Mm-hmm. Um, Howard University did it. USC did it. A lot of schools have done it to where kids have no clue whether they're actually going to class or not. And then like a couple of weeks before school starts, like, hey, we're all online. Well, right. also – it's not limited to football. Also, the big Big Ten schools, many of them are having on-campus schooling with dorms and, like, in-person classes. It's, like, what I've been reading. It's, like, I don't know how true that is, but, like, I see it all over Twitter from some somewhat uh, influential people. It's, like, you're telling me that kids can go on campus, staying dorms, which dorms – I never had the dorm experience being a transfer into USC. Cesspool, They're cesspools. Cesspool. Cesspool. So, these – so, the athletes can't play football, but the kids can do – God knows what you do in dorms. I don't know, but like we know it's bad. So it's- right, no, that, that that's a great point, and that's where you. That's where I feel like when I saw Mike Bone, the AD at USC, I saw his statement where it said, "If you were in the room with me and saw the data that I saw, like it would be irrefutable. The de- like the, the decision we made would be irrefutable. You would have one hundred percent agreed with the decision the Pac-12 made." And I see where Mike's coming from on that because. USC in conjunction with now canceling football also despite their statement in the spring that said we're coming back for fall classes is not coming back for fall classes in person so like that that decision sort of like that confluence of events makes sense whereas if that's the case on some of those big 10 campuses I I am skeptical of that as well because how are you going to 
prevent the COVID spread amongst those people who probably, and this is a total overarching statement, who probably are less healthy than the mm-hmm. college athletes. So yeah. you're going to let the, the less, like probably just on average, I'm just saying it, you're going to let the less in shape people in these dorms and college environments like commingle and get COVID because you know they're going to, but you're not going to let these kids supervised with a ton of testing play football against each other who are in incredibly great shape. You know, the whole thing's nuts. The whole thing's crazy. And I, what I want to try to under, have people understand here is that I was trying to explain this to my parents earlier. I feel like a lot of industries, especially given the way the stock market has been going the past month or two, a lot of industries hopefully already hit their bottom. As long yeah. as these vaccines keep coming along and there's real, um, a real great trajectory with um, hospitalizations and deaths in most states and the vaccines keep coming along, hopefully a lot of industries have already hit their bottom. Sports has not yet, and it's not close. Sports is not even close to the bottom of what the industry is going to be. The layoffs that we could possibly see, the ramifications of what we could see based on these college football decisions are going to alter the next 15 years of anybody in the sports industry's livelihood. Like, I don't think people understand that yet if you, if you don't work in it. And it is a very scary sobering feeling to work in it and see these cancellations and not know what's going on well i just wanted to say that absolutely do you have have a response because i have a question for you too no i made the question i was just going to say that's what people don't realize i think when people think of the sports industry they think players coaches trainers but as someone i've worked in the sports industry throughout my college career and internship capacities and there's a lot of people and that's a day-to-day job and it's a job it's nine i tell you obviously work holidays weekends games but it's a nine to five job on the week and for a lot of them and yeah there's normal people making a living and out of a job have to find a new career hopefully not but that's a scary thought but hit me with a question last question before we talk to alex alex because i know we want to yeah, uh, get I'm him on. on but uh what how high of a projected pick do you have to be football to opt out of the season if they play in the spring so that's where it's interesting nick um because there's such a jump. I was listening. I think Pat McAfee is one of saying this. I mention him all the time. I love his podcast. But it was, uh, what's the guy's name? Micah Parsons from Penn State. Micah, yeah. It's supposed yeah. to be like a top 15 pick. Top 15 pick. There's a big difference from pick 12 to pick like seven for money. Like that's a couple, that's millions of dollars right there. And obviously yeah. everyone looks like, yeah, if you get a $5 million, $8 million, you're happy. But like that's big for like I have no idea his background, but or anyone's background, but anyone coming from maybe a tougher environment or less fortunate environment, everything counts. You can provide your family, all that. So that's where it's like, I think if you're top ten, like it's it's hard honestly to even answer that because Matt Leiner, he stayed next year at USC. He would have been the number one pick. He ended up dropping down to pick nine. Lost a ton of millions of dollars doing that. Obviously, his life's doing fine. He's on TV making a ton of money, but that's where it becomes interesting because. I don't think you can answer that because every single pick is so much extra money, like from rounds wise that I don't know. I mean, do you have an answer to that? But like, it's where I'm at. For me personally, if I was graded as a first or second round pick, I would probably go because I know what my basement is. Even if I shit the bed in all of my workouts pre-draft. 
if I was graded like third through undrafted, I feel like that's just a lot of like, there's a lot of work you can put in. There's a lot of performance you can put forth on the field to really improve your stock. Whereas how much is a second round talent going to improve his stock? You know, in some cases like Joe Burrow going from projected sixth round to first overall pick, there's a, was a lot of improvement there, but for some people, there's just not, you just have a ceiling in terms of a draft pick and then you can capitalize on your improvement in the NFL. Some, you know, it, it, it's a difference amongst all people, but for me personally, it would be first and second round. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, I agree with that too. Like first, second round, you're getting good money. You're going to make the roster. Like I think even third round picks basically always do, but when you get down, some of those guys miss, don't even make the team. Right. But the last point I want to make is I don't not that I've seen people arguing this, but I can see that is because the NFL looks like they're going to go uh, according to plan. We'll see what happens there. I obviously hope it works out for obvious reasons, but I think some people said, how can the NFL play football and college can't? And it all just once again goes back to the good old dollar bill where when you're in the NFL making money, I think you can put your body and risk on the line. Like, okay, I'm making $8 million this year, but I'm risking this for that. When you're in college, they don't have that luxury. It's they're kind of forced to do it in a sense, I guess. Um, so I just think that that's kind of something I wanted to say and just where it's different because football obviously is not a social distance sport like baseball can be and um, golf. I mean, golf, basketball can pull up a bubble because small rosters, football, 53 man rosters, plus practice squad, trainers, coaches, all that. So it'll be interesting what happens in the NFL. I don't think that college and NFL are related at all when it comes to even though it's still football. Um, but yeah, it's just overall, it's just a sad day when this happened in March. Um, I was getting my haircut when Rudy Gobert tested positive and we were watching the game in my barbershop. So did not think this would trickle into college football at all. Or I thought maybe a month of baseball was going to be the worst. So it's sad. I think we're all sad, but you know, I guess USC will just have to win the 2021 spring national championship instead. Right after the Padres win the 2020 World Series, buddy. First ever COVID World Series title to the Padres. First ever college spring season championship. USC Trojans fight on. Game's going to have an electric six months starting in October, this upcoming October. Um, I also think the NFL, because of their centralized leadership uh, and because uh, of the money, like you said, uh, will have the ability to play and more people will be willing to do so. They're also professionals, and I feel like – they can definitely make up their mind and society is okay with having them make up their own individual mind and opting out. Whereas people feel like administrators still need to watch over 18 to 22 year olds. Um, But that's what we got for this college football stuff. We'll see what happens in terms of stories and developments uh, as the summer ends and and the fall gets going. Hopefully we have some safe college football to watch uh, this fall, but in the end, it's, it's always a fluid situation, which I feel is the vocab word we hear all the time. Hey, thanks for listening. If you liked that episode, check out our other content anywhere you get your podcasts.